1994 film Shawshank Redemption stars Morgan Freeman and Tim Robbins, and it tells the story of Andy Dufresne, an introverted banker serving a life sentence in Shawshank Prison for the murder of his wife, a murder he didn't commit. Early in the film, the prison guards are inspecting Andy's cell when the warden pays him a visit. As the warden is talking, he grabs Andy's Bible, and before leaving, the warden hands Andy back his Bible and says, I'd hate to deprive you of this. Salvation lies within. At the end of the film, it is revealed that Andy had been hiding a small rock hammer in his hollowed-out Bible, a tool that was instrumental in his escape from prison. His salvation from prison was quite literally within his Bible. The line, salvation lies within, is an example of foreshadowing, a literary device used to give an indication or hint of what is to come later in the story. Now, the reason I mention foreshadowing is because what is true of human creativity is true on an infinitely greater level when it comes to God. God is at one and the same time the author of sacred scripture, the primary author of sacred scripture, and the author of history. His providence governs all things, and nothing escapes his will. Thus, just as a human author can use a scene or a dialogue in a story to foreshadow what will happen later in the story, so too can God, and God alone, put a deeper meaning into the events of history recorded in sacred scripture to foreshadow what is to come. And we see this precisely in our readings today. In our first reading, Israel is wandering in the desert. They have been freed from slavery in Egypt, so this is after uh, the parting of the Red Seas, but they have yet to enter the Promised Land. They are hungry and exhausted. In fact, they are so hungry and so exhausted that they begin to long for the days of slavery in Egypt. They grumble against Moses and Aaron and, by extension, against the Lord himself. They even go so far as to say, would that we had died at the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt. That sounds bad, and it is, but their grumbling is actually worse than that. And we find this out in Psalm 78, verse 19, which reads, they spoke against God and said, can God spread a table in the wilderness? An older translation reads, they slandered the Lord, meaning this isn't an honest question. They aren't asking if God can help them. They are cynically denying that the Lord can be of any help to Israel in the wilderness. They are doubting God himself. In response, God works the miracle of the manna, this bread from heaven, which was miraculously rained down to feed the Israelites during their sojourn in the wilderness. It was a miracle that showed that the Lord is God and there is no other that nothing is impossible for him, that he is omnipotent and almighty, and that he is faithful to his promises. The Lord wasn't going to deliver Israel from slavery in Egypt to have them starve in the desert. Fast forward to our gospel, which takes place the day after Jesus' miraculous multiplication of the loaves. And the crowd says to our Lord, What sign can you do that we may see and believe in you? What can you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the desert, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. What sign can you do? I mean, that's a weird question, right? Jesus just worked an incredible sign at the multiplication of the loaves yesterday, the day before. But the crowd asks because they are connecting the multiplication of the loaves with the manna. 
How is that significant? Well, remember that the Messiah was expected. It was expected that when the Messiah came, he would recapitulate the miracles of the Exodus. He would do the miracles of the Exodus again, but on a, on a grander level. And remember, the manna was a miracle which occurred daily. So the crowd figures, if Jesus is truly the Messiah, then he will also provide miraculous bread day after day. Here's how our Lord responds. Amen, amen, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave the bread from heaven. My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And a little bit later on, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. And whoever believes in me will never thirst. In one sense, the crowd was correct to connect the miraculous multiplication of the loaves with the manna. But they don't get that the manna was a figure of something infinitely greater. It was foreshadowing and pointing forward to an infinitely greater spiritual nourishment the Lord would give to his people in the kingdom of God through the Eucharist. But let's stop there and ask this question, why? Why would God foreshadow a reality like the Eucharist with the man in the desert? Think about it this way. When a human author uses foreshadowing, it is evidence of preparation and design, that he knows where the story is going and he isn't just making it up as he goes along. So when God, the author of history and the author of sacred scripture, writes a deeper meaning into the events of salvation history, as he did with the manna, the manna foreshadowing the Eucharist, it is a motive of credibility, a reason for believing that God is truly at work, a reason for believing that the faith is true. Why? Because it shows divine preparation and divine design in salvation history. It shows that God is truly at work in history. Uh, it shows something that no human is capable of, not just the miracles, but of being able to foreshadow a future historic event. Moreover, we learn by making connections between ideas and concepts, and so by learning the story of the manna, we can learn about the Eucharist. By learning about the figure and the reality it foreshadows, we can, we can learn. So, for example, just as the manna was bread from heaven, so too the Eucharist is in a more profound way bread from heaven. After all, Jesus is really, truly, and substantially present in the Eucharist, body, blood, soul, and divinity. Jesus is true God and true man. Uh, thus, uh, because Christ is really present in the Eucharist, um, on, a, on an even more profound level can we call it the true bread from heaven. Moreover, just as manna was physical nourishment for Israel during their sojourn towards the promised land, so too, when we receive our Lord in the Eucharist, we are receiving supernatural nourishment. The supernatural life of grace we received at baptism is nourished, replenished, and increased in our souls. Last but not least, though, I think we see a real parallel with the unbelief of Israel in the desert and our world's struggle to believe in the miracle of the real presence of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. Can God spread a table in the wilderness, Israel grumbled. And sadly, we are no different. Uh, too often today, uh, we have failed to realize the profound miracle of the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. And the truth is that nothing is impossible for God. God is still God. He is, by definition, almighty. He who spoke the word in creation came into being can, if he 
sees fit, transform the substance of bread and wine into the very body and blood of Jesus Christ, really, truly, and substantially under the appearance of bread and wine. And in fact, he does this. He does precisely this at each and every single Mass. God is still feeding us daily. He is still working a wondrous miracle daily. A miracle even greater than the manna in the desert. Yet many grumble and cynically scoff, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? Can God truly do this? Yes. At each and every Mass, our Lord spreads the table of the Eucharist before us, a profound banquet to nourish us in the sojourn of this life towards our true homeland of heaven, towards the true promised land. May we have the faith to see and to know that the Lord continues to feed us miraculously in the Most Holy Eucharist.